reflection raises a lot of interesting questions. Oftentimes they can be uncomfortable. And in the last episode, I revealed one of my fears about fatherhood and how my experience as an infantryman affects the way that I teach my children. And in that self-analysis prior to, I've often wondered what I'd say to my sons if they ever told me that they were thinking about joining up. So I hope that you know, I've explained the right things to them and educated them properly prior to that conversation to where they understand more than most do. But it's an interesting question to ask concerning, you know, people outside my close circle as well. You know, what advice do I have for someone who's thinking about joining the armed forces? And considering that a great many significant life events occurred during my time in uniform, it's something that I believe I have an obligation to answer and answer thoughtfully after careful deliberation. After last week, I had planned to launch into a multi-episode discussion of one of my favorite warriors of all time. But as I began planning it, I realized that you know, it would be several more weeks before I could get to that point to where you know, I could provide my thoughts on the critical question we just posed. And I didn't want to sit on it that long. Now, life has a, uh, a subtle way of nudging us in the right direction at times. And a few days ago, I had a brief but a very different conversation with someone about this very subject. So as we roll the ad and we get into this, I want you to approach it with a few things in mind. The first being that if you're a parent like me, then we're going to have to have this conversation or something like it eventually with our kids. Secondly, I want you to think about how the services recruit and how they are presented to us nowadays. Um, also, I want you to remember that my experience was accrued as a grunt or an infantryman during the global war on terror, not in peacetime. And that means that I'm going to answer questions a little bit differently than you may think. Now, the last thing I'll say before we get started is if you're someone who's thinking about joining up, I want you to listen to this episode very carefully. And understand that my goal is not to tell you what you want to hear, but what I believe can help you make the best decision possible. This is not a recruiting episode wherein you know, I, I paint a grand and glorious or noble picture of national service. It's also not going to be a witch hunt where I focus solely on the negative aspects. But by the end of this, the question that I will answer for you is, what is the price to be paid for military service? Now, only you can decide whether or not you're willing to pay that price and if you should commit to it. But that needs to be decided before you take the oath of enlistment. So I'm at work the other day doing my thing, getting our books ready for the upcoming fall semester so that, you know, students can have what they need for their professors. And in walks this kid who, who comes to the desk and, you know, he asks about work. He says, hey, I need a job. I'm ready to work, you know, whenever, whatever department, doesn't matter, you know, so... He converses with the staff and, you know, after he schedules his interview, he hangs around for a bit and he's just talking to different people. And I keep track out of him, of him, you know, out of the corner of my eyes. I go about my work and he's wearing jeans and a t-shirt and he's got a kind of enthusiastic demeanor that, you know, portrays his excitement at, you know, possibility. But I overhear him mention several very different things that he says he wants to do with his life. And eventually... He kind of works his way back to my area, and the first words that he says to me are, 
How long have you been in the military? Now, regular listeners know that, you know, I've been out for the better part of seven years, but I'll be the first to admit that it's written all over me in my dress and my demeanor. And that strikes up the conversation, which inevitably leads to him asking my advice about joining. My first response was, why? You see, he'd already mentioned about four different career paths that he quote unquote wanted to follow to my coworkers in addition to scheduling an interview. And I kept trying to draw that answer out of him as the conversation went on. He had various answers every time, you know, that I kind of like steered it back around to the why, but he did say one thing in particular that stuck out. Eventually he said, I have something to prove to myself. Now, given the circumstances, I didn't think that he was looking for an in-depth conversation. Most young people aren't. So I kept the focus on what the most important aspect of the whole endeavor should be, which is the reason that he gave me. And after a brief explanation of what the infantry is, I told him that if he wants to have any other job outside of that, don't join the Marine Corps because the entire institution is centered on the infantry. If that's the route that he does decide to go, I advise him to spend no more than four to eight years in, get every school and certification that he can, then get out and look for private security work abroad, where he can actually be compensated for the skills that he would gain. Now, that last bit warrants an episode all to itself, so we'll put that on hold for now, and we'll circle back to this interaction later on in the episode, but I want to spend a few minutes talking about the most important part of it. What I'm trying to convey here is that critical thought should be the main theme when young people consider service as a viable path in life. If you're one of those people, then that means you need to ask some hard questions. The first, but certainly not the least of which, is what is armed service meant to be? I'll say it again. What is armed service meant to be? Not what has it been used for, because they're not the same thing, although both should be considered. But let's start with the first question. The oath of enlistment, required to be taken by prospective and current service members, states that we support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America in its opening line. And that's before obedience to the president and officers in commands, before everything else, by design. What this should say to people who want to join is that the endeavor of military service is dedicated to the ideals that America stands for. Not what America currently is or what it may have been or was at any one point in time or what it could be in the future. So if you're joining for almost any other reason, you know, to get benefits or, you know, to make money, <laughs> or to make a political or a personal statement, or you know, because you agree with the positions of the current government administration, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons, okay? And that can have disastrous consequences for you and for many others potentially. So have that sorted out first, okay? Now, having established that, I'd advise looking at history, this is the second part, and accepting the fact that while the services are meant for constitutional defense, they haven't always been employed in such a manner. Now, I'd argue that while our involvement in places like Somalia and even some theaters of the global war on terror were morally just, 
they did not follow that original intent, which in no way takes away from the skill and the sacrifice of our men that participated in those operations. But the point is, if you sign the contract, you accept the risk of being a part of operations you may not like or agree with. And that could cost you your life or limbs. There's no way around it. So what does this kind of life actually look like? And what are some other things for you to consider? Well, first off, you may be the one signing up, but you are not the only one that it affects. Anyone that is close to you will have major adjustments to make as a consequence of this decision. This is a commitment. A commitment. And you need to understand the gravity of that. So whether you're happy or miserable or somewhere in between, and at times throughout your career, you will be all of those separately and simultaneously. I promise you that. But regardless, you can't quit. Once you sign... You belong to Uncle Sam for the whole contract. It's not like you can just go find a different job if you don't like it or if your commanding officer is a nightmare or if a major life event alters everything. Now, I've known more than a few people who miss the birth of their children for training exercises and deployments. I can't count how many holidays, weekends, nights, etc. that I spent away from home during my time in. Um, another thing, throw out any expectations of monetary gain. Now, the benefits are there, true, okay? But make no mistake about it. You are making a financial sacrifice for however long you are in, unless you retire, of course. And, you know, that's a pretty sweet deal. You need to be prepared for the possibility of losing some of the best friends you will ever make, okay? Because training is inherently dangerous. Combat is not the only life and death scenario that you will face, you also need to be prepared to sacrifice your body because no one, no matter how tough or seemingly invincible, comes out of this the same way that they went into it. Now, on the topic of selecting your MOS or military occupational specialty, your job, essentially, uh, I would look at what is going to fulfill you more than what is going to, quote unquote, set you up for the future for one simple reason. If you think that you're going to do four years as an aircraft mechanic and then jump right into a million-dollar job with Boeing or FedEx or whoever, then you're kidding yourself, okay? The big, high-paying corporations do not care that you wore a uniform. They may say that they do, all right? But all your service means to them is that they get to say they employ X number of veterans when their HR department compares itself to another company who views you the exact same way, all right? But that's what your GI Bill is for. Okay, so do something in uniform that you can be proud of and learn from for the rest of your life. Something that will help develop you into the best version of yourself. And then after, use the benefits that you've earned to acquire specific, specialized knowledge for life after. And college, more than likely, isn't the best place for that because colleges don't educate people. Life does. But you have to decide if everything that we just discussed is worth that prize. Only you. Now, this next part is specifically for young people that want to earn their way in the infantry. Okay? Be a contractor after you get out if you're not going to retire. It's a way to make some really good money and see some really cool places. And most importantly, get in good with some other awesome and like-minded people. 
okay? Just remember, if you find yourself in a jam in a faraway land, the cavalry isn't coming over the hill to save you, all right? Now, I get it. That lifestyle is sometimes viewed negatively. You know, people wonder why you would want to do that kind of work for a corporate company when you just got done doing it for the government. Well, money is the answer, okay? Which in no way means that you have loose morals, quote unquote, or that you're some kind of psychopath. It's a legitimate means to provide a high standard of living based on skills that won't translate to the civilian world, okay? If you go onto Glassdoor or Indeed or any one of those search sites, hell, if you go to a job placement specialist, an actual person, okay, with grunt qualifications, which I've done this before, all of these, okay, they're going to tell you that you qualify to be a security guard. And that's about it, you know? This is where that earlier statement about doing something that fulfills you and you can be proud of comes into play. Because regardless of what MOS you choose, your path in life isn't paved with gold just because you served in the military, contrary to what some may think. Okay, so let's start bringing this together a bit, all right? Let's revisit that story and the question that I started off with today, all right? When I asked that young man, why he wanted to join, he said that he had something to prove to himself, okay? That response paints a different picture that goes against the grain of the young, eager, idealistic patriot that's commonly presented. Now, I think this is a good reason to join because it replaces patriotic sentiment, which can be shattered easily after you get exposed to the political nature of military service. You know, a young man that joins to develop himself has a greater tendency to think critically, which, contrary to popular belief, is healthy and essential, especially in the infantry, okay? There's been many costly military disasters that have been averted because of someone just asking, why are we going to do it like that? Have we thought about trying it this way instead? And doing that in a way that shapes plans differently than they would have been, absent that critical thinking, okay? That mentality tends to be grounded in reality instead of ideals. It is a desire to discover, driven by a, like a restless sort of necessity. And if someone is willing to make sweeping, life-altering changes in order to find those answers then they'll be more willing to endure the necessary pain and discomfort of long-term development than that of the hardline patriot. This line of thinking, you know, while less comfortable for people who want to cling to that model of the nationalistic uniformed citizen, is very encouraging to me. Um, it, it means that despite the confusing messages sent by, you know, politicians and the services as they try to recruit – that at least some Americans still associate healthy and worthwhile pursuits with military service. Things like challenge and development and adventure instead of the culture killers like inclusion and diversity and the quote-unquote woke or modern interpretations of individualism. Another way of saying this would be it's okay for men to enlist wanting to prepare for and go to war simply to gain critical knowledge of themselves. That's a commitment to personal development, one that I would argue makes a far better warrior than the typical model of patriotism. And that's okay. 
There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Okay? Now, let's go back to individuality for a second. Okay? The concept of and the, the value of the individual, of, of humans as autonomous and unique beings that are capable of maximizing their own potential and contribution is central to the American identity. Okay, you can't separate that out of military service because it's so ingrained in us from the time that we're born. And that's a good thing. Okay? Each person's sense of their own individuality and the value that they bring to the table should be a key identifying factor in whether or not to join. Okay? Now, recruitment and acceptance by the services, as well as seeking acceptance into them, should be done so under the mutual agreement that individual value will be dedicated to mission accomplishment and every necessary preparation to that end. Now, here's the torch and pitchfork statement right here. Okay, you ready? Now, when it shifts away from that and toward the rights or the comforts and the emotional whims of the individual, then it becomes increasingly more difficult to answer critical questions regarding national service. It's a big problem, okay? Questions like, what is our purpose as a service? What is our mission? You know, even concepts like, uh, like prioritization of training and education and, and training practices themselves become obscure over time, okay? These are not the types of questions we need to be asking ourselves at this point in history. And they're certainly not the types of questions that we want to be still figuring out in a time of war. Okay? So, if you're joining to quote-unquote be heard or make a statement about who you support politically, look elsewhere. Because once you join, legally speaking... You have no voice. It's a condition of the contract that we all have to sign. Well, you say, now, Stu, hold on a second here. I see news stories all the time about how, you know, tolerant and supportive the institution is of, of gay people or women and people of all races. Well, what do you say about that? Yeah, I've seen the same bullshit. And I'd counter with, first off, that message comes from a very small group of people and is not reflective of most service members, okay? I'd also ask, what if you end up in a command that just expects you to be a good soldier or Marine or sailor or airman and doesn't give special treatment or even care about superficial things like any one of those that I just listed? So if you joined to be heard or noticed and you find yourself in a command that's focused on things that really matter instead of all that other shit, you're gonna be fucking miserable, I promise. If you're expecting Uncle Sam to give you a voice and solve all your problems for you by signing up, you will be disappointed. And that's putting it lightly. The armed services are not an outlet for your frustrations or an avenue for political aspirations either. In fact, due to the all too common and frankly detrimental association of military service and PTSD, I would argue that it's an obstacle. So if you want to get into politics, just look at Washington right now. We have a record low number of combat veterans serving in Congress in the wake of our country's longest war. Why is that? 
So let's bring it to a point. After hearing all of that, if you still want to sign up, there's just two questions left. And I'll answer the first one for you, okay? What is the price to be paid for your service? That's the sacrifice of your family, your time, your money, your freedom, and perhaps your body or your life. Now, a brief caveat to go with that, though. You get out of it what you put into it, just like anything else in life. If you agree to pay that price up front, what you are gaining in return is the opportunity to experience life in a way that most people dream of but lack the will and courage to pursue persistently. If you do this, you will never have to wonder, what if? Lean into it. Full force, no half measures. You do that, then I promise you that as you grow and as you learn about yourself, you will appreciate even the simplest aspects of life with a a vibrance and a fullness that has immeasurable value. But it isn't free. It cannot be given. It must be earned. And you must pay the price every single day that you wear the uniform that so many great people before us have. Now, with all that said, there's only one answer you need. Are you willing to pay that price? And that is something that only you can answer for yourself. As always, everyone, it's been great sharing this time with you. Every day that I get to interact with any of you is a good day, and I view this as an extreme privilege. So thank you for your time. Thank you for your feedback. All right, Do me a favor and like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can stay up to date with you know, all the new episode drops and, and the news that I have upcoming about the book Okay, that's, that's going to be coming out here pretty soon. So spread the word, people. Um, you know, I want to get this message out there to everyone that needs to hear it, and I need your help to do that. All right, a share on social media, a DM to one of your friends that you think would it would really help to hear this. All that really goes a long way. Okay, we'll catch you next time here on the Warrior Legacy Podcast. Get savage and stay savage.